This episode of the Bikes and Podcast is coming to you from Portland, Oregon, and is titled Bikes and Staying Fit. Today, I am talking with Mr. Peter Laporte, someone who discovered that his knees were getting so bad that uh, his doctor recommended that he went into riding a bike uh, somewhat, as I say, later in life. Peter is a transplant from New York, I believe, where he's born and bred. Uh, He moved out west to enjoy the great state of Oregon and the city of Portland, and who can blame him? Here are five things about Portland you maybe didn't know. Number one, Portland was almost called Boston, apparently. Yes, there was a flip of a coin. Yep. Yep. Uh, The World Naked Bike Ride is the world's largest with 13,000 participants. Have you ever taken part in that, Peter? At my age, no. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I would either. Okay, what age I was at. Uh, Portland comes in second, apparently, behind Minneapolis as the friendliest place to ride a bike in the country. Although I suspect you can ride your bike more often in the winter than you can in Minneapolis. If you don't mind the rain. That's true, because that was going to be my next point. It rains a lot here. Um, And number five is apparently there is a $500 fine if you try to pump your own gas. Yes, Oregon and I believe it's New Jersey are the only two states in the union where you are not allowed to uh, pump your own fuel. What, what, what is the reasoning behind that? I haven't lived here long enough to decipher that. <laughs> <laughs> um, that. That's great. So, Peter, can you tell us what you do for a day job? Yeah, well, um, we're, we're here and I work uh, for a, a sweet company called Yakima uh, Products. The other folks that make bike racks and snowboard racks and ski racks and stuff they put in the top of your car and on the back of your car. And I actually retired from a professional life a long time ago and... My wife wouldn't let me stay home, so I wound up uh, coming to Yakima, and it's a uh, it's a good place to a lot of young folks. I'm gonna think I'm the oldest guy in the company. I'm pretty sure I am. There's one other guy who's a decent cyclist, also who's about a year younger than I am. But it's nice to be inspired, and there's a lot of cyclists around here, so it's nice to be inspired by them. Yeah, big thanks to uh, to Yakima for allowing us to use one of their meeting rooms for yeah, this absolutely. conversation. So and for getting me away from the hubbub of <laughs> having to do work. That's exactly right. With all that being said. Uh, why did you decide to move to Portland from New York? Had a wonderful opportunity. Uh, I'm a New Englander by by birth, and uh, um, was had no desire to move, but uh, just had a wonderful opportunity, job opportunity, to come out here. And uh, uh, my wife was a little traumatized by the idea of leaving both our kids in college on the East Coast. Right. But, uh, moved out here, and uh, never will move back. This is Oregon's heaven. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, how, how long ago was that? 1998. Matter of fact, this time of year, uh, I think we actually uh, moved into our house at about this time of year, November, early November, late October of 1998. Right. The last time we met, you were, we were very positive about Oregon and Portland. What mm-hmm. do you like most about being here? Uh, Portland, as a city, is a very easy city to live in. I mean, it's, it has enough diversity in it in terms of restaurants and theater and cultural events and places to go and see that um, it's it satisfies what our needs are mm-hmm. I'm very New York centered and it's certainly not New York but it is uh, it has for its size uh, remarkable remarkable facilities and opportunities to explore a lot of stuff and then you are an hour an hour and a half maybe from mountains about the same distance from the Pacific Ocean and if you want to travel a little bit further east uh, before you get to the Cascade Mountains, or after you get to the Cascade Mountains, you can 
going to the high desert, which is just absolutely uh, spectacular in my view. And uh, so all, all of that wonderful aspect of it, plus the wine is great, and the microbrews are even better. So uh, it's, it's a nice, nice place to live. Yes, for, for those regular listen, listeners to this podcast, you'll know that we do try and um, coincide an interview with someone and drinking beer. Um, uh, unfortunately, it is uh, quarter past 11 in the morning here in the, in the Pacific Northwest, uh, Peter and I are drinking coffee. Uh, we felt that it was just a little too early to drink beer and, and wine, potentially. Indeed, indeed so. What if another hour if you had had time? Uh, yeah. <laughs> we would have been fine. We would have been just fine. <laughs> Funny, people do ask questions before noon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I'm also, uh, we, we'll, we'll certainly get onto the bike conversation in a minute, but I'm, I'm always fascinated by someone who's moved from uh, a major major city area like the like New York mm. uh, to a place like Colorado or Oregon or mm. uh, or Washington State or something. Mm. Were there other places on your list? Not really. No. I mean, it, it, I I came out. I had been interviewed to come up to a company out here once before, and I had no interest in working for the company, and so I never looked at Oregon or Portland, whatever what it was. Right. It's just that it was a wonderful opportunity, and mm. I had made the mistake. I'm not sure if it's a mistake, but I, I sometimes tell my kids it was a mistake, so they're full indebted, of promising both my daughters that I'd pay for their first college. And uh, one of them went to a conservatory initially and then wound up at Columbia University, and the other went to Wake Forest. And mm. by the time <clears throat> the bills were starting to come in for those two, we were it was getting pretty heavy, and, and the opportunity out here afforded an opportunity for me to... to, uh, to uh, uh, pay those bills back and right. I joined a company that we eventually sold it and got a lot of stock and and, and uh, danced for joy <laughs> good that's good um <laughs> so um mentioned when we were talking before your love of opera um, yes, yes. and uh I understand that you have a potential event coming up in the new year uh, feel free to plug away. Yeah, absolutely. We have when my younger daughter was going to a conservatory in New York, we she made good friends with a young lady there who has turned out to be just a, a brilliant soprano. She's um, her name is Amy Shermont Obra. She is a principal at the Metropolitan Opera, um, and uh, she made her debut there. I think a couple of years ago. I want to say twenty fourteen, may have been twenty fifteen. And uh, any event, we've been trying to get her to come out to Oregon for a number of years, and she's coming out in February with two colleagues, Eric Silberger, who's a virtuoso violinist and an excellent pianist by the name of Carlin Marr. And uh, we're going to put on a concert at a place called the Old Church uh, here in Portland on uh, February 2nd. And when you and I are done, Ben, I'm going to go to the Old Church and pay the deposit on the on their facility so that we can uh, make that happen. Good. Well, as we get closer to the date, get us the details and we'll put it on the, on the website. Website. Thank you so much for offering that. Yeah, no, no problem. So the, the meat of the, uh, the conversation uh, is how you got started riding a bicycle somewhat later in life. Very slowly. Very slowly. <laughs> uh, can you give us some background on how, how that happened, the story about how you got onto a bike? Yeah, sure. I... Um, I used to run a lot, and there's a, we live not too far from a place called Washington Park, which is this beautiful, beautiful park uh, in the city of Portland. And uh, I used to go after work and, and run on the uh, trails, and my knees were killing me. Mm. I mean, the knees, as you said at the outset, was, were just getting really, really hard, and uh, hard to maintain running 
I never was a good runner. It was just a lot of fun. And uh, uh, eventually was counseled, as you suggest, that uh, you might not want to keep doing that uh, because as you get older, you're going to have more and more problems with knees. And so I stopped and started <clears throat> getting thick around the middle. And uh, my wife, bless her, uh, was kind of suggesting that uh, I might want to find something to do and had suggested golf. Um, golf is, I've played golf um, a lot, but it's not my temperament. It's more, I, I'm more of something where I want to feel the sweat and feel the exercise and feel the effort. And so my next door neighbor wasn't long after 9-11, as a matter of fact, mm. uh, that suggested we go for a bike ride. And I thought he was nuts. And he pulled off two old, terrible mountain bikes, no suspension on them. They're horrible. And we went a ride, uh, on a ride on a, on a fire trail, mm -hmm. which winds through some of the forests that are uh, adjacent to Portland. And I got hooked. Mm -hmm. I just got hooked. <laughs> it was just, yes! <laughs> and uh, bought a couple of mountain bikes, went biking a few times, and my wife also joined me. And she, I tend to be an A-type personality then, so I... Um, I don't I, I would go no one from New York is, has no, an A-type no. personality. <laughs> no, so we'd go out together, and I would tell her, look, um, I'm going to try to, I'll wait for you at the next intersection, or I'll wait for you at the next trailhead, or whatever it was, and she finally got really PO'd at me, and says, I'm not going to do this anymore. And then I realized, honestly, that uh, I think it was probably at that age, about 59, pretty close to that, that uh, doing the terms of mountain biking that I could not associate myself with were things like faceplant, endos, roid buffing. I just, I was, I, it was just I not. I have my, never heard that last one before. Oh, yes. That's when you hang your butt over the back as you're going downhill, and it's called roid buffing. And <laughs> I, I just didn't seem in my car. I mean, how can a guy who loves opera do roid buffing? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. So, in any event, I, a friend of mine sold me a couple of cheap, used, really old uh, road bikes, mm. and I was hooked. Uh, I couldn't get out of my subdivision on them, because on the one that I had, and my wife never really tried it, um, because we have a little hill that goes up out of our subdivision, I simply could, couldn't get up the hill. And I thought, oh, God, this is hard. But I just was hooked, mm -hmm. just was hooked, mm -hmm. and never looked back. Mm -hmm. To be clear, you started off on mountain bikes. Yeah, you that, lasted, that lasted about four months. About four months. <laughs> um, and then you moved to road, road biking. Bike, yeah, and stayed there ever since. Awesome. So what road bike do you currently ride? Currently, I ride a Willia mm -hmm. uh, uh, Isoad. It's not the highest end road bikes. I've had Treks. I've had Cannondales. Uh, probably went through about four bikes in my first year of cycling. Mm -hmm. uh, but I like the Willia. Uh, if for you or for your listeners, if you don't know what Willier, I didn't know, Willier stands for. It's the initials of the of the uh, motto of Italy. W in Italian is like a V, so it's Viva Italia Liberate e Redante. Long live Italy, free and redeemed. That's fantastic. Yeah, it is, and it comes from Trieste. They're, they're made in Trieste, Italy, and it's a sweet bike. Her name is Francesca. Of course. My name for her is Francesca. Yes. She's my mistress. My only mistress that my wife allows. Yeah. And uh, if you miss, if you're listening, uh, Mrs. Laporte, um, <laughs> she knows. <laughs> <laughs> he seems sincere, sincere on this end, just yes. so you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she. That is just a wonderful bike, and I have another bike coming. It was a Kickstarter program that 
uh, I uh, invested in or backed for a, a bike coming out of China, and I'm hoping to get it. It'll arrive before Christmas. It's called SpeedX, S-P-E-E-D-X. That's a pretty high-end bike at a Kickstarter price, so I'm pretty excited about that one coming as well. Yeah. So what what is interesting to me, Peter, uh, is that you are, have fallen head first into the trap of being a bike rider. Yes. Uh, two two indicators of that. Number one is you seem to be be a bit of a bike snob, which um, oh definitely yeah, <laughs> which comes with the territory. Um, and number two is that you own multiple bikes. Uh, yeah, I have. My wife keeps insisting that she, she doesn't understand the bike snob formula that the correct number of bikes is N plus one. That's right. <laughs> she never has quite <laughs> grasped that. Um, I keep trying to educate her, but it's a it's. We've been married. We just celebrated our 49th anniversary. And Congratulations! I, I know when to hold them and know when to fold them. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. Um, tell us about a, a, a regular ride for you. How, how many miles are you riding? Yeah. And how many days a week, that type of thing? Obviously, weather dependent. Yeah, weather dependent. Uh, not nearly as many uh, days per week as I'd like. I will ride to work not as frequently as I'd like. We recently moved our headquarters, and it extended the ride, and it put me into a lot of no-bike lane traffic uh, at rush hour, which I'm not thrilled about. And so I... I, I pick and choose my days for that. Um, generally on weekends, almost every weekend, I don't feel like I've ridden a bike unless it's 35 or 40 miles. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of years ago, a friend and I were going out every weekend, and on Saturdays we'd do, if we didn't do 75 or 80, we didn't feel like we had a good day. So we'd do 75 to 100 miles every every uh, Saturday. Um, I used to do that when I started, mind you. I remember the first day I rode 50 miles, we got back to the parking lot where we had started from at about 49.6, and I just made circles in the parking lot until I, until I got to 50. And then I thought, yay! <laughs> <laughs> it was wonderful. But yeah, about uh, probably um, a weekend, anywhere from 35, 40 to a century, 100 miles, um, pretty regularly, again, depending on weather. We have a ride coming up this Saturday that it's out to a little town called Verbort that is a wonderful little town that they have a sausage festival. Mm-hmm. And so we ride out there and eat sausages. Excellent. Fortunately, it's about three quarters of the way through, and then we, we belch our sausages on the way back. <laughs> <laughs> Are you an event rider? Do you like to ride in events? I have a lot, yes. and um, But as I've gotten older, I've picked and choosed my events a little bit more carefully because many of them are roads that I ride anyhow. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that I do ride faithfully is a thing called Reach the Beach for the Oregon Lung Association, and it's held every year uh, around, my, uh, around my birthday. And uh, the um, organizer of the event, the man who manages the event, it's a huge event. It uh, starts in three or four different places in the Portland area and then some other areas mm-hmm. and it rides out to a town a place called Pacific City on the Pacific Ocean and the, from Portland out there it's about 100 miles 103 miles and uh, so I've done it every year for about 10 years or so and the organizer as I started to say wonderful guy I told him it always occurs around my birthday and I was turning 70 and then 71 and then last year 72 and he's very graciously uh, provided me with a bib number that was my age <laughs> and so uh I start, I, this year I wrote on it, I'm 72 and just passed you. <laughs> and uh, it, so that's, I mean, that's probably the event that I do the most. It's a great event, and I, I, I try to get a lot of people to ride it, cause, mostly because I need to have people around me to 
push me along. Yeah. Tell us about the environment that you ride in here in Oregon. Um, I presume somewhat hilly. Yeah, this beautiful uh, woods. What I call Oregon Flat. It's uh, in the valley here of Oregon, mm-hmm. where Portland is, and so forth. It's a lot of rollers, and, mm-hmm. and there are obviously some stiff hills and climbs as well. But the Portland is divided by a, a river called the Willamette River, and there's the East Side Riders and the West Side Riders. And I live on the West Side, so I I head out toward farm country. Um, I used to leave from my house all the time, and but traffic and construction and new housing developments have kind of impeded that a little bit or less made it less friendly. Uh, so I've gotten out. Uh, I'd usually drive out to a school that's nearby and we'll ride out from there. And the countryside's beautiful. It's mostly two-lane roads. Uh, that is through farm country, vineyards, um, rolling hills. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, depending on how you pro- approach some of the hills, some of them have pretty stiff, steep climbs. Fortunately, not too long, <laughs> because uh, that's getting hotter and hotter. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, a beautiful place to ride. Uh, wonderful places to ride. What are the uh, what are the drivers like in the state of Oregon? Very benign, mm-hmm. um, really benign. You get some crackpot once in a while. I've I've had a couple of people yell at me and and things like that. But but it's it's a benign place to ride. And I, when I'm encountering people who are considering riding or new riding and they talk, talk new riders and they start talking about I'm afraid of cars, I'm afraid of the roads. Uh, I always try to tell them, well, yeah, there is, I mean, there is the nut or there is someone who's acting irresponsibly. And people have been hurt badly and people have been killed here in Oregon riding bikes. But I think on, on the whole, um, Oregon drivers are, are pretty aware that cycling is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you you found um, biking later in life. Was mm. there anything specific about why you hadn't done that before, or was it just you were running before and you just didn't? Never, th- never even considered it. Mm-hmm. Never even considered it. Um, it had it not been for my uh, next door neighbor Chuck and his saying one day, "You want to go for a bike ride?" And, mm-hmm. I, and he didn't. He wasn't much of a rider at all. And I said, "Are you kidding me?" And he said, "Come on, let's go. We'll ride." his crummy old mountain bikes on the fire trails. And uh, yeah, I'd never even, never even entered my consciousness. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Um, do you um, have a relationship with a local bike shop that you'd like to give a shout out to? Yeah, the folks over, I, I generally hang with the guys over at the bike gallery. That's a small chain that's here in, uh, in Portland area and a couple of other areas in Oregon. And the folks at the, at the, uh, there's a, suburb called Beaverton and the folks at the Beaverton Bike Gallery tend to be pretty good folks. A couple of wrenches over there that are just uh, uh, good guys. They're all good guys and uh, yeah, so that's where I tend to wind up if I need stuff or Francesca needs some tending to and I can't do it and I bring it over there. That's good. What, what uh, drivetrain components do they have? On my bike or mm. on the, on the uh, mine is Altegra. Uh, yeah, it's Altegra and I also have upgraded it in a couple of places like full carbon wheels Call them a wheel set, and um, I also put on a, an elliptical chainring, mm-hmm. uh, and I find that that really has helped me. Hasn't helped me go up hills, which is what I thought it would do, but it helps me pedal circles. Mm-hmm. And uh, if anybody's a cyclist, they they want to have a not only the downstroke, but but some effort up in the backstroke. If you have a power meter, which I don't, unfortunately, you can measure that more in in greater precision and greater accuracy. 
But uh, so I put a, uh, I think it's called Ridea or R I D E A um, uh, elliptical chain rings on, and uh, it, the first thing I noticed was that I was pedaling circles a lot more easily mm. and a lot more fluidly than I had been in the past. Yeah. And I've also noticed that I was going faster mm -hmm. uh, on the flats, at least, uh, and and doing some personal best on Strava, which I had, <laughs> which is always my measure of of gee, am I am I really Trying hard, you know. Yeah, yeah. You're another. See, there's another, uh, another ch check in the box as, as far as how much of a biker you've become because you're now using Strava. Oh my gosh, yes. I mean, I oh, I've been using Strava for a couple of years now, and on a couple of the rides, that a couple of routes that I do, I know where the uh, Strava uh, segments are. And uh, I'll tell my colleagues that we're riding. I say, we'll come up on a Strava segment. we got to go. we got to go. <laughs> they say, no, they're crazy. <laughs> Pacific Northwest are renowned for its rain. Mm. Um, what do you do for exercise when it's raining? I teach spin class. Um, I, I've been teaching spin classes at 24-hour fitness for just a little bit less than I've been riding. Let's say I went to France for the tour in 2004, so about since late 2004. And I actually retired last year from teaching spin classes. I was doing like three a week and sometimes two or three a day, and um, it was getting pretty hard. Mm -hmm. I, I sweat. I'm a, I'm, I, I sweat badly, and by the even at the end of a third class in one day, it was, I was still, and I was just, Totally dehydrated, right? Totally chronically dehydrated. Yeah, bad. so I, yeah, so I decided to retire, and uh, uh, after about nine months, I figured hmm, this is I miss this stuff. So I'm now doing one class a week at one of the local clubs here, and probably will pick up another one. I think because it's just a lot of fun, right. and I I do try, I do enjoy spreading the gospel of cycling. It's such a wonderful sport. And when I get folks in for spin class, I say, we're not going to go on this. This is not spin class. We're going on a bike ride together. Mm -hmm. And all of the drills I do or all the classes I have, it has a cycling theme. Like we're going to go around. There's an area here called Hag Lake. And we're going to ride around Hag Lake, which is a bunch of rollers. Uh, what, what do you get most out of cycling? Doesn't Boy, that's an interesting question. I never thought of it to answer that. What do I get most out of? What I get most out of it is the satisfaction. One, I love Oregon, and I love, particularly in the spring or summer, being on some beautiful roads with Cascade Mountains mm -hmm. and Mount Hood in white snow and the blue sky and green fields and, you know, the, the stuff growing, vineyards and whatever have you. So, I mean, that's just beautiful. And you hear things and smell things that you don't when you're in a car. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can go further than when you're running, obviously. Um, so that's a big, big part of the satisfaction that I get. The inner satisfaction I get, I've always liked to do things that are challenging and hard, and and cycling is hard if you want to do it, if you want to do more than just stroll. It's You don't have to do it hard, and I'm not necessarily advocating that everybody needs to ride like I do. I like to be challenged. I like the physical challenge of it. It's why I didn't want to take up golf as much as my wife tried to urge me to. Mm -hmm. uh, Good I choice, by the way. I'm sorry? Good choice not Good to go choice. down the golf route. <laughs> yeah. Well, she, she keeps every once in a while the money I spend on, on bikes and, and cycling. She said, boy, that's a lot of money for this little thing or whatever it is I bought. And I said, not as much as golfing, darling. So yeah. <laughs> green right. speeds and all that. Yeah. But in, in seriousness, I think, um, I think the thing that I like about it the most is um, about cycling the most is the challenge the physical challenge sometimes I've come back home 
totally knackered, totally worn out, totally exhausted. And I'll sit in, the fr in our front porch for a few minutes, and then I think, dang, I want to get out. I want to get back on the bike. And I know I, I, I have nothing left, but I want to do that. Mm -hmm. I just want to get back. It's just, it's just a, I don't know if it's endorphins or, or what it is, or mm -hmm. just a quirk of my personality, but yeah. it's the challenge of it. So firstly, please that you got the word knackered into that uh, response <laughs> to the question. I didn't think any American <laughs> knew what that actually meant. <laughs> That's, that's from coming from living overseas for a number of years and having, and having a lot of Aussie and British friends around me. Right. Um, for those of you who don't know what knackered means, uh, look it up, why I ride a bike, everything that you just said, with the addition that I seem to be able to clear my mind completely oh, when I'm riding a sure. bike. Yeah, it's purging. It is, and yeah. everything disappears other than the important stuff that you really need to focus on. I, I find that's... Um, that's yeah, I, it, excellent point, Ben. I used to uh, ride home from it job I had a few years ago and it was pretty stressful and I it was the place that I worked was three miles from my house but I'd take a 20 mile ride home after work and it was gone by the time I got home all right. that stress and that anxiety and all that stuff it, it really does kind of clear your mind mm -hmm. and uh, and put your put your mind right right back where it should be right um any advice to someone who is uh, interested in riding a bike but somewhat intimidated by you doing it? How would you recommend that they jump into it? Other than if they, let's just say they don't have a friend, a neighbor next door who invites them out to ride a, a bike um, and they're listening to this podcast. How, what, what would you suggest to them? As like, I, I, can only, I, I can only answer the question by saying, as I said, uh, by reflecting back on my cycling, that was just do it. Uh, I had no idea what I was getting into and when I started. Yes, I initially started on the mountain bike with my wife, and that was nice to have, quote, a friend. But just do it. I mean, either you're going to find you, – you'll find some level of enjoyment or no, not. I mean, it's not everybody wants to bike, ride a bike. That's fine. Right. But you'll find some level of enjoyment, and, and all I can say is cultivate it. And that's, and that's what I did. I, I found it because I couldn't run anymore. I never was a good runner. I just enjoyed – running through the Washington Park and the forests because mm -hmm. it was just so beautiful. But um, it's so enjoyable to get out. And even, I mean, as I'm slowing down as I get older. I never was fast, but I'm, I'm slowing down. And, and I'm finding, okay, I can't keep up with my friends in the same way I used to. I have to rethink what I'm getting out of it, wh what I want to put into it, I guess is the better way of putting it. Putting it. And and so instead of averaging 18 miles an hour, I'm going to average 16 miles an hour or something like that. Okay, fine. Um, and that annoys me initially, but I'm still on a bike. I'm still out in those beautiful Oregon roads, still enjoying the, the, the effort that I am putting in it and knowing that it's doing wonders for my health. So yeah. I guess my only answer I would, would say do it. Maybe there is a second answer, and that is to read. Um, there, cycling is, in my view, at least road cycling, is just filled with stories of some wonderful people and, and, and things that they have done and places that they've, and things that they have achieved. Yes, the Armstrong era is over and the drugs are, are, are cycling is what brought drugs into sports because it was so hard in, in Europe, particularly as a working man's sport and, and it brought a lot of drugs into it. But the people who did this, the people who, who pioneered road cycling and who were heroes to a lot of people in Italy and France and Belgium, re read some of their stories. And if you are motivated at all to try something 
that is that's uplifting, then they will motivate you. They they did me, and as I started reading more and more about the history of cycling and all, it was just uh, I I wanted to be like them. Any examples of one of those books? Yeah, there's a. Um, well, a guy named Will Coxon has written a bunch of books uh, on the Tour de France. There are some. One of my favorite books is written by a guy named Paul Fournel, F-O-U-R-N-E-L. And it's called Love of the Bike. He, Paul Fournel was a, uh, uh, he was a French diplomat, I think a cultural attache for the French government to Egypt, if I'm not mistaken, but also a a decent writer, and his book is filled with these little stories and aphorisms and and insights into the cycling world. And I just think it's just this treasure trove, this wonderful treasure trove of of, of all only road cycling, but of, of of cycling itself, about the culture, the people, not all necessarily European. And some wonderful little tidbits. One of the things he, he wrote in his boat, book, you, you talked about my being a bike snob. I am. Um, and, you know, you, you've got to look the part. Your bike has got to be dressed to the part. You know, there's all this kind of stuff. It, the eyeglasses, have to, when you're wearing your sunglasses, the temples of the sunglasses got to be the outside of your helmet straps. I mean, all of these, all yeah, of these things. It couldn't be any other way. They're, absolutely. I mean, there are the rules. <laughs> Remind me about that. I'll tell you a little story about rules. And and Paul Fresnel in his book, uh, the, the, the Love of the Bike, he, he makes this comment, and I, it's not a direct quote, but it's it's pretty close. He said about bicyclist attire and 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 looking spiffy and all this kind of stuff is to look good is to already go fast. And I think yeah, you know that's so right because when I see a cyclist who is looking good, who's, who's, who's dressed the part, wears team kit on, his bike looks the part, I'm intimidated. <laughs> I know he's fast. He may not be, <laughs> but it's just, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, he's yeah, a cyclist. That's right. <laughs> so, so what are the rules? The rules, well, the rules, so if you, <laughs> my friends hate me for these, but the rules, but Don't there's not a... Not to mention names. <laughs> not to mention names, but, the, but there's a wonderful website called the Velomanati I can't spell it, velomanati.com or .org or something like that. And they have, and it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, V-E-L-O-M-A-N-T-I, I think it's spelled, velomanati, something like that. And, um, and <laughs> they have 97, I think it is, rules of road cycling. And um, they range from things about the temples of the eyeglasses, as I just mentioned, to rule five, which is the rule. And I can't repeat it because it's, rather um, obscene but it is essentially toughen up <laughs> you know <laughs> suck it up boy <laughs> and it's said in very terse in a very terse way right. and that's the central central rule of the, the primary rule of their of their thing but it's so fun it's tongue-in-cheek and it's so much fun to read that and some of it's true others you know I, I make the excuse that you're allowed to violate two or three rules but not more than that at any given time right well, great. Um, thank you very much for your time today. We Super. really appreciate it. Thank you to you and Francesca. Francesca, my, my, my sweet, uh, yes, I will let her know that uh, her name has been mentioned. There you go. <laughs> and uh, we, we really appreciate your time. In inspirational story. Thank you very Super. much. Super. Thank you, Ben, and look forward to seeing you again. Yeah, absolutely.